Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. And it is uh, August 24th, 2023. Got a, a, a great guest for you today from the, uh, uh, the think tank that is Fordham Institute, the educational think tank, okay, at, at the Thomas R. Fordham Institute. It's FordhamInstitute.org. We have their national research director. It was Adam, Dr. Adam Tyner, and Adam is here. He's going to talk about a new report that he uh, published. It's about, it basically asks the question, is American education funding still unequal? A lot of people think that it is. We're going to find out what the research has shown and see where we're going with all this and how we can do best to make sure that all kids get a great education. I know Adam's going to be an absolutely Excellent guest. I have the uh, Fordham Institute linked here, and right on the front page of the uh, of, of the web of their website is the report, which is uh, very very interesting. We're going to archive this show over at ace-ed.org, as you know. That's the uh, home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education, and uh, we have our Equity Awards program, our magazine, which is called Equity and Access. It's an online journal. You'll enjoy it. Just click right on through when you see the cover. And also all the podcasts that we do here on Education Talk Radio are also over there. Everything's free over there. We hope you uh, go over, check out all the, all the things that we do, because we do really care about equity. We want every kid. To us, that means that every kid, regardless of uh, social economic, regardless of race, gender, etc., gets the education they need. Because if not, it affects every one of us. Okay? And remember, I always say about equity, it's not for them, it's for us. Okay, we don't want to lose any kids. We don't want to f- lose the kid who's going to find the cure for cancer, to put it bluntly. Okay, so let's make it work for everybody. And that's basically what we're going to be talking about today with Adam, okay? Making sure that every kid, okay, gets an equal, an, an, an equity-based equal education. Adam, it's Larry here. How you doing? Doing great. Great to be with you today, Larry. Thank you, Adam. It's nice to have you here today. Are you in New York today or Washington? Where are you? I'm actually in Mexico City today. I spent some time. I got family down here, so I spent some time down here. I'm on mountain time. <laughs> wow, good for you, man. Uh, so mountain time. So what is it? So you're uh, two hours back. What is it? Nine o'clock down there, right? That's right. I was. There I was you go. Really I can happy do it. To see your email that said I got two more hours of sleep this morning. I know you did, and we have, we made, we changed the time of the show today, folks, uh, to make it uh, because we had to do it here, and uh, Adam went along with it. It was just great. Talk to me about all this, you know, and I don't hear a lot about this anymore, and I think it's really, really important. What gave you the idea to write the report, and what, what just real quick, what did you find? Well, it's one of the first things I ever learned about education policy, I think, long before I read any books about it or took any classes about it, was that the kids who go to schools in areas with less money, less affluent areas, they have they go to schools that are funded not as well because funding is largely based on local property taxes. And that was something that I heard maybe in high school for the first time. I heard that maybe many years ago. And uh, that actually used to be kind of the case, that local property taxes were kind of the predominant source of funding in many places. Uh, if not most places, and that led to these giant inequities. And so mm-hmm. there was, you know, journalism done about this. I think Jonathan Kozel's work in the 1980s oh uh, my exposed God, yeah. a lot sure. of this. 
this stuff and really shape the way that people think about school funding and about inequities in resources uh, for different types of students. And um, I, I guess what led me to write this paper is that over the last few years as I've been doing some research on school finance, I realized that a lot of this wasn't true anymore, that it wasn't true that local funding was the predominant source anymore. And because of huge increases in overall funding, more federal funding, and just different ways of allocating funding, it wasn't true anymore that the kids in the poorer areas went to schools that got a bunch less funding than the kids in the affluent areas. And there's actually some work that's been done just in the last couple of years where they've had access to new school-level data that was never available before that shows definitively that if you just separate the kids into the, the richer and the poorer students, you can do it by poverty level of the area that they live in based on census. You can look at free and reduced lunch numbers. Mm -hmm. If you just compare those two groups, that inequity just doesn't exist anymore, at, even at the school level. At the district level or at the school level, it doesn't exist anymore. In fact, uh, kids who have come from, from uh, economic circumstances that are, are worse than other, other kids tend to get a little more funding for their schools. In other words, school funding is a little bit progressive. And so that's what I, that's what I found. That's what I wrote in this new report. The entire report's available at FordhamInstitute.org. Your listeners yep. can go there yep. and read the I entire thing. I got a link but, here. I got but a that's link. the bottom yeah. line. Yeah. Well, you know, then, then I have to ask the question. What, and I'll just use this as an example. When, when we think of school districts, there are large school districts and small school districts. Okay. And I, by the way, my kids grew up in New Hampshire, which was the, 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 the kingdom of local real estate taxes paying for education. Okay, uh -huh. in, in, in Exeter. Okay, so my it kids did is. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. All right. Relative to that states, that's they, are, they are the kings. And, you know, and that's been ongoing there. We are, because we don't have, in, in, I don't live there anymore. I live in Maine now. But in New Hampshire, which I just love that state, okay, there is a no sales tax and no income tax. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting when schools come completely from the private, as far as I, you know, not completely, but a good deal of the way schools get funding in New Hampshire is through local. My question, though, is I can make the question simple. In a large district, I'm gonna, since I'm in Maine, I'm going to use Boston. Okay, why are there schools in Boston that are so under-resourced and in such bad shape? Why aren't they the same, and I'll just make it up, as the schools, if, if I may, in Andover, which is an upscale, incredible community uh, north of Boston? Okay, and you can take that to any city you want and go to their, one of their better suburbs and, and just ask the question, if the funding is equal, what, what the heck is going on? There's a few things going on, Larry. Uh, one is that you, you pointed out New Hampshire, so I just want to note that New yeah. Hampshire is actually the only state where this is not true. <laughs> According to the best <laughs> research on this, on this topic, which is done by uh, Kenneth Shores, who's a professor at the University of Delaware, and his colleagues, they have 
a paper using the school level data. And that way you can be sure that it's not because you're looking within district. People used to think, well, it was about equal at the district level, but maybe at the school level it's still uh, un unequal. And it's actually more progressive at the school level than at the district level. But um, they find, they look at every state, they look within states. And what I'm talking about is true within states. We can talk about it across states. There's some other phenomenon that, that, that work sure. out. But if you're, you're, you're talking about within a, a just within a metro area, the suburbs versus the the inner ring uh, of the city. Yeah, um, in, in, in New Hampshire, yeah, yeah. In New Hampshire, that that's actually one place that some people still need to do some work on school finance equity, and it is probably largely because New Hampshire has some of the highest proportion of school funding is sourced uh, through local property taxes, like that yeah. old story that I was saying at the beginning. That's not. Uh, the case in most places now, but in New Hampshire it still is. So um, <laughs> they probably have some work to do there. But to your <laughs> question your about – It's a great to place to live, by about, the way. I, re I raised my kid there, and I recommend – my kids, yeah. re I recommend that state to anybody. Okay, I just happen to think well, it's great. Well, I live they, in Maine. They, I love Maine. I hope the people yeah. in – I hope the people in New Hampshire are listening because they may have a little work to do uh, on this <laughs> they uh, do work. particular they're, they're issue. They're good workers. <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, so, so let's, let's use my example of Boston, okay? If all the schools and, – and, and, and that's actually my question. Are the schools funded equally or are the districts funded equally, okay, when you say – that there's no yeah. more, and I know you're not saying this per se. That the that you're saying that the funding is equal. So why are there so many under-resourced yeah. schools, or under re, excuse me, yeah. under-resourced schools? Go there's ahead, a couple Pat. of things going on. Yeah, so it's true both at the school and the district level that there's not really much difference in funding if you just look at like, uh, you know the. The 20% one, one study uh, by Julian LaFortune, uh, who's out in California, he was at, Ber at Berkeley getting his PhD when he wrote the paper, but he wrote it with some other Berkeley PhD economists. They looked at like the 20% uh, richest districts versus the 20% poorest districts. So that was at the district level. Um, they looked across the country and they found that that gap in funding had been closed uh, but probably 10 or 15 years ago. So at the district level, it, there's a di couple different ways you can slice the data, and you'll find you know, that, that there's parity or even progressivity. But there are some ways you could slice the data that you might still find uh, some inequality. And so let me go to your example of Boston. I can't uh, yeah. say that I know the Boston metro area very well, but let's just imagine well, I'm that just there's using a it metro as, as area. Suburbs versus where, inner city. I'm mean, suburbs versus well, big urban Well, in some district, suburbs yeah. versus inner city, yeah. well, there's, there's a couple things. So in some cases, there may still be some spending or funding in inequality. I've looked at New York versus Long Island. So I don't know if that's similar to the Boston and its suburbs, but in, in, there are some of the Long Island districts where they are spending, you know, more than $35,000 per pupil per year, which is just an unbelievable amount of money. It's about double the national average. And so even though New York actually spends quite a bit, I think it spends around $20,000, $22,000, New York City, I should say, uh, spends that much on its students, that's still quite a lot of money, but it is still not the same as what some of those districts on Long Island are doing. A lot of metro areas aren't <laughs> like that. The suburban areas are getting similar funding to the, uh, to the urban areas. But there's another twist here, Larry, which is that 
sometimes school dollars don't equate to exactly equal resources. So equal dollars doesn't buy you the same thing in the in one district as it does yeah. in another. And one place where that's real obvious is when you look at teachers. Because staffing costs are the most expensive thing that schools have to deal with. Uh, maybe sometimes facilities can be can rival it sure. if they're doing a big project. Sure. But but uh, staffing costs that's a big line item, and what what we find is that the teachers in some of some schools are not nearly as prepared. They're not they don't have as much tenure. They haven't been around as long. Uh, so they're you know in some schools and in some districts, teachers are cycling through. So that means that the students aren't getting the same. Uh, the same quality of teacher as they might be getting in another place, even if the teacher's making mm-hmm. the same amount of money for a bunch of different reasons. But uh, that is that kind of resource, that kind of classroom resource may not be the same uh, to in, in one place than in another place, even if the funding is equal. And so uh, we, we still have disparities in, in some of these resources. Certain types of programs aren't as common in uh, schools that don't have as much money. And, of course, then there's also the point that we have reached equ- you know, equality in terms of, of funding, but we didn't have that for a long time. So it could be also a sort You're of, up. you could say, a stock and flow issue with, yeah. like, facilities, right? Like, if you didn't get enough money for decades and your, your building's kind of crumbling and falling down and you don't have very much, you know, uh, your your facilities are kind of bad, and then we equalize your funding or even make it a little bit progressive. You're still, still way not behind. Catch you up. in a day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so, so there's a few different reasons why that may be the perception, but I, I or that would that may be the reality. But I do think Good that point. the perception is probably divorced from the reality to some extent, and those savage inequalities I think are a thing of the past. Yeah, and 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 I that that's a great point by the way you just made. You know, they were so far behind that even if you give the runner the best running shoes, he still is going to have trouble catching up. Okay, because mm-hmm. they're so far behind, and that that's an amazing way. When did that, when did the equalization, as you put it, okay, when did that take place? I mean, you know, I, I went off to yeah. Philadelphia public schools, you know, but and we were still using the same textbook when I was there. This is a long time ago. Okay, and that yeah. my father used. His name was actually one of my textbooks, if you can believe it. Okay, and uh, <laughs> you know, which was funny, but we're talking a long time ago. You know, so when mm-hmm. did the equalization take place? I mean, Philly is another good, good example. Philly, uh, you know, Philly's always dying for money. They need money. They're always yelling for money, more money. Okay, and they're mm-hmm. doing the. I know they're doing it. The teachers are good. They're doing it. They're doing the best they can. Okay. When did it all kind of equal out? What did your research show? Well, there's a, there's a couple of reasons that's a difficult thing to answer, and I'll tell you why. So we so make up have something. This data is radio. At the we, dist- just be smart. At the dist- yeah, you can make up whatever. <laughs> well, I'll, yeah. get, I'll, give, you, I'll yeah. give you the best answer I can, <laughs> which is that at the district level, we have had data for a while on this. So we can say, like, at the district level, districts weren't being funded much unequally uh, even like 15 years ago, um, there's studies that go back there, back to that era, and they can look at the level of district funding within states and say that the, rich, the, the districts in the richer areas weren't getting more funding because state funding increased a ton. And it was a lot of that was, prog- was allocated progressively. So uh, a lot of that, and then of course, federal money went up as well. 
And so district inequity in terms of the uh, level of funding, that probably closed 15 years ago or maybe even 20 years ago. Um, but we didn't really know about the school level. People kept thinking that the school level, if you looked within districts, then, oh, well, there's going to be some schools that get, uh, you know, shafted in terms of funding and other places yeah. that are getting good good funding and because they're in a richer area within the districts. But then the, we didn't really yeah. have school-level data until, like, two years ago. So we wow. weren't able to actually make wow. that comparison and so now that we have made that comparison, and I point again to Kenneth Shores, the professor at the University of Delaware, who's I think done the best work on this, uh, he and his colleagues, I should say, um, you know, they've actually examined that school level data and they found that those gaps, it's actually a little more progressive at the, at the school level than at the district level. Um, and so it was, it was not the case that there was this inequality persisting within districts probably. So it, it very well may have been closed for, for a while, but we just didn't have the data to show that. You know, you know, and I find this interesting. I thought your point before was absolutely excellent, you know, about many, many of them were started off way behind. And what we can say, and, um, you know, people can say, let's just go with this, that funding to American schools is equal. All right. But then taking your point is, is I'll say it simply is equal enough these days or, or do some districts. And, you know, there's you certainly know what equity equity is. That's what we are. You know, the American Consortium for Equity and Education, where, you know, you've seen that cartoon. I am. I am sure, Adam, where they show the three kids peeking over to look at the baseball game over the fence. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I've seen a few versions of it. Yeah. Yeah, everybody knows that one. Yeah. So I use it a lot. But um you know, equal gives them all the same size box, regardless of their height. All right. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it doesn't solve the problem where some school districts, and this is a weird way to say it, needed to go beyond equal. Okay. To get where the other school, all school districts are, the shortest kid needs the bigger box, so to speak. All right. And when well, you look at, when you look at this all, okay, from, again, from, I want your, this is, great stuff for Fordham Institute. It always is. Okay. Is, is equal enough? Okay. And that's basically the question I have. And I hope you know what I mean when I say that. We do, you know, give yeah, it all the well, same box. Yeah. You know, go for it. Explain I, it to me, Dr. I look at this. Yeah. <laughs> I look at this in the policy brief and obviously the whole policy brief is available for free at FordhamInstitute.org. It sure is. can just go to FordhamInstitute.org and take a look at the whole thing. We, I talk about this some, and I do a little bit of original data analysis to kind of look at needs as far as we can see them. And obviously, we can guess that there may be a lot of unobserved needs that vary by community, where some you know kids have you know different family structures or different face different kinds of challenges. They're taking care of grandmas or siblings or or whatever, and that might vary. But in terms of the uh, identifiable kind of things that we have in law, like schools need to get more money when they have more special ed students, for example. They need to get more money when they have more uh, English learners, for example. Many states have laws that specifically say that. Um, What we find is that special education and English learners uh, the proportion of those students does vary by the the exact kind of uh, socioeconomic indicators I've been talking about. So they're in richer schools, they have fe- much fewer English language learners, and they have slightly fewer 
uh, special education students than in the poorest schools. In the poorest schools, mm-hmm. they have a few more special education students, and they have a lot more English learners. And so what that means is that even if we're, you know, right now it's not like we it's super progressive across the country how school spending is allocated. It is we're at parity. We have fixed the historical wrong. We it's slightly progressive, yeah. but if the if the schools that are in uh, you know, poorer areas also have students who need additional services that uh, you know may, other students may not need. Then that probably does mean exactly what you just said that those schools need a little more money, or maybe they need a lot more money in some cases. And so I think, um, yeah, you're absolutely right that the fact that we have reached equality does not necessarily mean that there are no school funding issues that we should be talking about. It certainly doesn't mean that. Um, there, there may still be a lot of inequities, and I think that we need sure. to look at the communities and states need to look and see, you know, what are the actual needs, and are we making sure that we're, we're, we're satisfying those needs? Are students getting, uh, you know, equality of opportunity through having equal resources in terms of equal access to a, a, a great teacher? Are they getting, uh, you know, similar resources in their schools, similar types of programs, as well as the extra programs they may need if they're facing some specific uh, challenges like that? And so that means that they probably need to have even more progressive spending in many cases. So we, we you answered the question. Thank you, thank you, Adam. You you answered the question. You know, are, are is American education funding still unequal? And the answer is it is equal. It is not unequal. It is equal. Okay. Now that we've answered that, okay, and you, Adam, where do, where do you want people to what do you want people to do with your research? And I'm asking that quite seriously. Okay, when knowing this. Okay, where do schools go from there? Where does a state I go with the school? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, Larry, I think there's a couple things we need to do. One thing is we need to acknowledge that we made real progress on this issue. This is an That's issue that point. we talk about, you know, progressive being point. afraid of talking about progress. And, you know, it's like sometimes you hear uh, progressives, you know, acting like the world is always, as, you know, the worst it's ever been or something. And the truth is that the best case for progressives is often to say, hey, we can make a difference if we do, if we work at it, if we make, we can make change, we can make this place better. We used, we used to have the savage inequalities, but because of people like John Serrano, who was a Mexican-American parent in East Los Angeles County, who brought one of the first school finance cases that ended up Remember you know, that to the California yeah. Supreme Court. Yeah. And yeah. Serrano versus Priest was one of the first court-imposed state-level uh, school finance decisions that led to more equity in the way that state resources were being allocated. There's been 26 other states since then that have had some kind of court case like that. Like the, That work actually changed things. And so I do think we need to take a second and take stock of that and say, hey, we made some real progress on this, and this is something that was a historical bad, and we kind of fixed it in a way. That doesn't mean that we have fixed everything, and we and so I do want to answer your question about you know what where should we yeah, go from here? You're doing but great. I do think yeah. it's important to take it to to take stock of that and to acknowledge like we I did do make too. some progress. I do and, too, and, we, and so because everybody's always yelling and screaming about everything, you know, we did make progress. We're, we're working on it. We're we're moving in the right direction. Go ahead. In this case, we definitely did move in the right direction, and yeah, I think that it's fair to. 
criticized people who said, hey, this wasn't a big deal because there were a lot of people who said, you know, school funding doesn't really matter that much anyway. And, and we, you know, we have a lot of research that shows that's not true and that school funding does matter. This is an important issue. It may not be the most important issue in education policy, but it is an important issue. And so uh, now I want to answer your question about, you know, where we go from here. Take stock of, you know, where, we, where we've come from and uh, acknowledge that we've made this progress. We have gotten to equality. Um, and then where do we go from here? So, I mean, I think that there's a couple of ways of, of looking at this that, that I, um, I haven't been super excited about some of the ways that people have tried to promote uh, greater uh, spending in poor schools. I think the rationale mm. uh, has, has sometimes been kind of weak. Some people have kind of denied that we made progress. And so I'm really trying to dispel <laughs> that because we need to be dealing with the truth. Some people have said, oh, there's still these huge gaps. And, you know, you really have to slice and dice the data in a kind of misleading way to find that, in my opinion. But as some people have also <laughs> acknowledged that we've made this progress. But then the, in arguing that, you know, equal is not enough, they try to put a number on exactly how much we need. And so they try to do some kind of fancy statistical wizardry to find out, like, how much money would we have to spend in order for uh, all the students in these areas that are still underperforming to perform at average or, you know, get everybody above average, like like Wobegon or something like that, right? And the idea <laughs> is just that we pour money in until we get the outcome that we want. And yeah, I really and I don't, don't like, that. like that approach. I don't like that. For a bunch of reasons. your words, but I don't like that. It's ridiculous. I, I'm just, in fact, yeah. I, was, I was actually, I was, you're going to continue this, but I, I just wrote down the next question I wanted to ask you, okay? And it just follows and, and with what you're saying. How important is the funding? Okay, throwing money, okay, at something we have learned over the course of the, what is it, three hundred years here in the in the country, two hundred and fifty years. Okay, uh, that doesn't necessarily work. That doesn't necessarily make the no. difference. Okay, and it doesn't. Yeah, talk about that. That's where you were going anyway. You know, throwing money well, for just, a long time. Yeah, for a long time, people uh, there were. Uh, quite a few people who kind of cast doubt on whether there was much of a connection between school funding and student outcomes in the first place. They said that it was really about family differences. So they, they acknowledged, hey, there's savage inequalities, but the savage inequalities don't really matter because school funding isn't really what matters. Some of them even thought school performance wasn't really what matters that much because it's all about the family. It's all about greater social pressures and everything. And I think that, you know, it, this is another place where the research has really shifted because over the last 20 years or so, we have had a ton of really high-quality studies come in. I mean, dozens of these studies have come in where they have been able to do much more uh, pinpointing the effect of new money as opposed to just looking at a kind of correlation in the whole country or something. They're able to really pinpoint what was the effect of, you know, they passed a, a school uh, finance bill here, but they didn't in this other place. Let's compare these two places. And what they found was that generally funding does make a difference, uh, and it almost you know, in the historical data that they've looked at, it almost always makes a difference for the lowest income students. The students who are coming from more disadvantaged families get an even bigger bump. So funding really does matter. It's not something that we can kind of be like, well, this, this isn't really the main, well, it's not the, it's not the issue we should be talking about anyway because funding isn't that important. Funding really is important. But is, then there's another too. question, which is that we're, 
we're in a different world than we were 25 years ago in terms of funding. I mean, I talk about in the brief, which is available at FordhamInstitute.org. Um, I talk about in the brief the you know huge increases in in student uh, in uh, school funding, I should say, that have happened over time. So going from 1985 to 2019, we have 81% more funding in inflation-adjusted dollars. So that's not like well, you know just because of inflation yeah, or something. Yeah. We're, it's not doubling the funding, but it's close to a doubling of funding since the mid 80s. And so. Uh, another thing that we have to think about in terms of, you know, wh how much more money should we spend is at what point is that money, you know, going to meet diminishing returns where we're not going to have the Thank impact you. that we've had historically. Right. And, and then right. also, you know, just like how you spend the money, it's a kind of obvious point, but how you spend the money is also very important. Yeah. The fact it, that there is more money does correlate with, you know, increases in student learning. But obviously, how you spend the money matters a lot. That's right. And we know that there's some very expensive ways of spending money, like reducing class size, that oftentimes have disappointing results. They don't have that big of a, an effect, and they're very expensive. So we have to be prudent with this public money and make sure it's going to, to, to high, you know, different inputs that are going to have a high return on investment, right? It, 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 all, all the things you said, I, I, I agree with. And you, you just said something about reducing class size. It reminded me when I was a kid, again, in Philadelphia in the early 50s. Uh, let's say it's 1957, giving my age away here. Okay, it's 1957 in our class, maybe fourth, fifth grade, whatever. We're studying American geography. All right. There were, Jeff, you remember, mm -hmm. Adam, and you probably, you weren't born, but there were only 48 states, 48 flags, stars on that flag when I was a kid. Okay. Alaska and Hawaii had yet to come in. All right. And I remember each kid was assigned to be a state in my classroom. All right. And at, because you when had we got 48 40, kids. We had, well, we, not only did we have 48 kids, she had three kids left over. So one <laughs> became Alaska, one became Hawaii, and one became Puerto Rico. Okay, and you talk about reducing class size. Okay, I guarantee you, every one of those kids, including myself, went to college. Okay. Yeah. I guarantee it. Okay, and mm -hmm. you know it's just uh, reducing class size is, is is just part of the answer, and throwing money at something is just part of the answer. Okay, equity matters. Yeah. Right? Some schools may need more, others need less. Okay, that at thirty-five thousand a student, maybe they need a little less. I don't know. You know, it's that kind of thing. Adam, this is good stuff. You guys always have good stuff. You have great information on here. And the last question: So, when are you heading out of Mexico City? How long are you down there? <laughs> uh, I'm actually headed to DC on Monday. So, God, um, got a yeah, whole weekend. I, I travel. I travel a lot, actually, because I have family down here and yeah, lots nice. of work to do in in the nation's capital. And 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 yeah, I get to I get to travel a lot. But um, you're a lucky guy. Yeah. And, and how hot is it down there? I'm curious. I don't know because they've got a good altitude down there. But they, but it, it was that's how right. hot is it down there? What's the what's the temperature in Mexico City? Because it's a it's Texas a big misconception. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's nothing like it is in the northern states of Mexico or like the southern states of the U.S. It's actually quite cool here. I think we're at about seven thousand feet of elevation. Yeah. So yeah. it's actually quite cool. It's in the seventies. 
Fantastic. Like Maine, like beautiful Maine, where I am today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ne- next to exciting New Hampshire, I might add, which we, we still talked about before. <laughs> Call those New Hampshire folks up. Tell them to get it uh, I will. I know Frank, the, uh, the, the Secretary of Education over there, who works for Governor Sununu and all that sort of thing. It's really, it's the most interesting state. Like I say, it's the only state with an actual death threat on the uh, license plate. Live for your die. You know? So what can I tell you? It's, it's good stuff. Adam, thanks a million. This was just great. Thank you, my thank you, my friend. Thank great you. Great speaking. No, say it better. Thank you, me amigo. I appreciate it. Buenos dias. <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye, Adam. Okay, I got to tell you, everybody, Fordham Institute really gives me some great information. And go over there and poke around because it's uh, besides Adam's uh, education, funny thing. This all adds up, and, and, and we got to really think about this stuff. And, uh, you know, we're getting there, and we should be proud of what we've done, okay? We're, we're at a good spot. We need to get better for a lot of people, and that's really the bottom line. But we are at a good spot. All right, we're going to archive over at a-ed.org, and I'll say it again. Everything we do over there is free. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's Larry over at a-ed.org, Larry at a-ed.org. I look forward to that. Adam Tyner and everybody over at Fordham, thanks a million. Everybody have a good day.